of all the Avengers characters, I think the one that's really most misunderstood is Hawkeye, Clint Barton, the character played by Jeremy Renner. He even got made fun of once or twice on Saturday Night Live. Like, dude, you shoot arrows. How super powered, superhuman can you be? All you do is shoot arrows. But we got to look at one thing. There's a scene in Civil War where he comes back out of retirement and Tony Stark says, what, golf was boring to you? And he's like, well, I don't understand. There was no challenge. I played 18, shot 18. Can we pause there for a second and talk about maybe he missed an opportunity in life? Instead of being a super assassin or a spy or whatever you want to classify him, I think the PGA probably would have been a great place for him. Alas, the Avengers. There's this scene in the original one in which Hawkeye is coming back from being under the mind control of Loki, and he's talking with Natasha Romanoff, Black Widow, about how she got Loki out of his brain. And her line was, cognitive recalibration. I hit you in the head really hard. And it it has me thinking about this basic belief of whatever you were doing before, whatever your life was like up until this moment where you cognitively recalibrate yourself, because I don't recommend hitting other people in the head, but maybe if you could, you know, metaphysically or figuratively do some cognitive recalibration at an appropriate time, that you might be able to come to a new clarity. I have been going through kind of a cognitive recalibration period this summer, There are the best laid plans that I had set for myself back in March and April when crit racing was just about to really get back to going and life was going in the right direction and things were going to happen positively and, you know, it was going to be this huge year. But then reality kind of caught up to me and punched me in the face. But here we are. It's June and I go to Tulsa and I end up getting a concussion. The plan had been to come from Tulsa to Chicago, move my father into an assisted living community, then go up to the Tour of America's Dairyland, race some Tour of America's Dairyland, come back down to Chicago, check on my dad, and go back to Washington, D.C. and and get back to life and being a lawyer. Well, none of that happened. Concussion, delayed going to Toad, but also the bumps and bruises of getting my father into an assisted living community delayed our capacity, and then we started having to deal with moving his stuff out of his house so that we could get ready to put his house on the market, and oh my God, the entire plan that we had laid out for ourselves kind of got thrown into the garbage, and that just set kind of the pace for the next couple of months, next couple of weeks, and basically all the way up until like right now here in September, where things just weren't working the way that we had planned them to work. I went to Intelligentsia with the hope of racing Intelligentsia, but also spending some time seeing my dad and doing things around the house and trying to get the house organized so that we could move things out. And that's kind of the backdrop for this episode here with Kerry Werner is he's a guest in my parents' house during this estate sale of estate sales that we've got going on, trying to eliminate the things that were in the house that aren't going to be able to be kept in the house because we're trying to sell it. You know, he's not using it anymore. We're not using it anymore. We need to move on with life. We need to recalibrate. But that recalibration became more challenging 
because the assisted living community that he was staying at didn't have the capacity to cater to his physical limitations and needs. We needed to get him to a much more sophisticated facility. That was something that got dropped on us a week or two before we went to Chicago for Intelligentsia, which adds a little bit more stress, which takes away from the, you know our capacity and our well-laid plans just a little bit more. Then we finally find him a place here in Washington, D.C. for him to move to. Everything's working great. And then we, you know, get this medical transport company who's ready to move him. And their car literally breaks down on the way to pick him up. And so he's delayed. And again and again and again, little hiccups, little things come along and they disrupt the best laid plans. And so I've spent a lot of time this year trying to think How do I want to approach things? How do I want things to work? How do I want to make progress in my life and keep doing the things that I'm doing, but being okay with the idea that maybe doing things at the level that I wanted to do them might not be a reality. I may not be able to perform at the tip-top level that I had hoped back in March and April and that I had trained for, but you know what? It's still worth doing these things. It's still worth having these experiences because life is worth it. Life is worth being made uncomfortable. It's this whole thing that Steve Cousy, and wow, I am going way back to 2019 here, had talked about. You never, ever, ever plan to race when you're at your best. You hope that you'll be at your best, but the reality is that you just got to get out there and do these things. And you've got to get out there and do these things when you can and how you can. And you know what? Sometimes the results aren't there. Sometimes the results are better than you could ever have dreamed them to be. But at least you gave it a shot. At least you went out there and you did something and you didn't wait around for some eventuality to come up. That's where we are here. That's what cognitive recalibration is. And that's somehow, some way, some shape, some form is how I'm moving forward with this year. Now with a broken hand, the result of cyclocross and my first ever warm-up laps of doing it after a decade plus of being off of the sport, I'm just going to keep on trucking and I'm going to get back out there and I'm going to do it again. I'm going to make all these mistakes and I'm going to just keep fighting because my name is Rob Kelly. This is Criterium Nation, a show about life lived one corner at a time. Carrie Werner, he's the guest on today's show. He's a guest rider for the Project Echelon team that was staying with me in Chicago during Intelligentsia Cup. And I'll be honest, it's interesting because it was so amazingly uncomfortable yet comfortable. We had all these guys in the house. Carrie was staying in my old room. Have you ever thought of sleeping in your parents' bedroom after they move out of the house. That was kind of the situation that I was confronted with at this point in time, but we did it. We did it all. We just made it all work. So a bunch of random dudes who I had never met before but really enjoyed getting to know spent time with me, and one of them was Carrie. And Carrie and I got an opportunity to just sit down and talk talk about bikes, talk about cyclocross, talk about crit racing, talk about all the things, because this is one oddly shaped family of sports that all blend together to be a part of the same community. 
So why not talk all about this? Why not talk about what it's going to take to make a, a purely American version of an international activity? What is it going to take to make bike racing an American thing where people can make a living and people can have a life aside from doing 5,000 other things in addition to racing bikes? The one thing that I can tell you 100% about Kerry and having lived with him for seven days or actually a little over a week is that the guy is relentless. He works from night until day and then from day until night doing his job of being a bike racer and being a person in our community. He would get up before I got up typically every day. He would start working on his vlog, start working with his sponsors, start working on creating content for them. And he just doesn't quit. He goes, he races, he trains, he does all of it. And it's just this like never ending amount of energy. And it's somewhat, no, it straight up is inspiring. It's absolutely inspiring. And he gets the results that he deserves because he works super hard. So I'm incredibly thrilled to be able to present this interview to you today. But before we get there, before we start talking to Carrie, I want to tell you about the Wide Angle Podium Network of Shows. WideAnglePodium.com is the website. Go there, find the full bevy of shows from the network from a great group of independent content producers like the Slow Ride Podcast, Cyclocross Radio, where Kerry typically has his shows or shows about him. There's also Nowhere Fast, The Grodio. There's just great information and great entertainment for you and for your bike racing desires. So please go there, become a subscriber, help financially support this network and these content creators and allow us to bring you good quality entertainment and good quality independent news about the sport that we care about together. Today's show is brought to you by Source Endurance, source-e.net, a full service coaching company that is here to help make you the best version of you that you can possibly be. They do it all, gravel, road, cyclocross, endurance, all of it. They've got nutrition services on top of their coaching, on top of just their, I don't know, cognitive recalibration. That is my coach, Zach Allison. They've got real life experts in all of the areas that you need to become a better athlete. They're there for you. Use the promo code Criterium Nation, all one word at checkout for $50 off your first month of coaching. So it's been a year. <laughs> that is both a understatement and just a reality. It's been a little bit of a year for me for bike racing and for everything, but I'm still here. I'm still positive. I'm still happy. And I'm going to continue to bike race. And part of the reason why I'm going to continue to do that is because of guys like Kerry Werner. So we're getting into it here with him. And we're doing that right now. My name is Kerry Werner. I am originally from southeastern Pennsylvania, but I now live in Roanoke, Virginia. And for part of the year, you race for Project Echelon. For another part of the year, you race for somebody else. Who else do you race for? 
uh, Kona bikes. Kona Maxis Shimano is the official team name. This has to be one of the more unique host housing situations that I've ever been a part of. (laughs) (laughs) I've I've never hosted anybody in... Well, I take that back. I've hosted people for DCCX, but that's simple. You know, it's just like open the guest bedroom, boom, you know, like do your thing. We are in my ancestral homeland in Chicago, and you are being hosted amidst the estate sale of estate sales. Has this been strange for you? Uh, It has, but at the same time, it's been really fun because you guys have, uh, you guys have been very like accommodating and like made very light of it. So, you know, like the big thing with host housing, wherever you go is it's always bad. You don't want to feel like you're like in people's way. And you've got, you guys have been very nice and, and accommodating so that we don't, we don't really feel that way. There's also been like way more room opening up over the week. So <laughs> it's hard to get in each other's way at this point. <laughs> yeah. Sadly, we, we sold your bed out from underneath you, <laughs> which might be the biggest jerk move that anybody has ever pulled. But well, that's the thing. It's like there's a give and take, right? So like I'm occupying this space in your house and that's like you know for whatever that's worth but then at the same time like you're taking furniture out of my room and so there's this like give and take so like it's uh it like equals out so we feel like we feel like uh nobody's getting wronged in this situation but like the irony is that the guy who bought your bed is a supervisor for the city of lombard where one of the intelligentsia cup races was held so he shows up here to buy the bed that you've been staying in notices the project echelon car out front and goes are these all the people who are just racing literally the day before in my town and i'm like yeah these are the guys and girls who've been racing here this is this is why you guys put it on so it was like this really instant connection for him because now he's going to walk away and be like the bed that i bought the great Kerry Warner slept. <laughs> well, <laughs> he doesn't have the mattress, so he doesn't have everything. Well, maybe he comes back for that on Monday after we put the mattresses out. So, but uh, let's talk about you doing crits because everybody who knows who Kerry Warner is, is like, this is the guy who's at the front of cross races, but you decided this year to really kind of commit to a criterium calendar in addition to, doing prep for cross season the rumor was is that you are racing criteriums this summer to keep yourself from being bored is that really what's happening here well i don't know if if that's like the best way to put it there's some truth to that um so like in in years past i would i would come out across season you know take a break and then get ready i'd usually like I'd usually race mountain bike and off-road stuff uh, through the summer, spring and summer to get ready. So I'd do like Pisgah stage race, Transylvania stage race. And then last couple of years we did BC bike race. And then I'd like sprinkle in some, whether it be like Kona adventure team trips or some bike packing or whatever. But it's all, it's always been like relatively the same for the last like four or five years. And then, you know, You've got the legends like Tim Johnson and, and Jeremy Powers and, and even Curtis White and Stephen Hyde. They've all in the past have done, you know, stints on the road in the summer. And I've never gotten the opportunity to do that. And so coming into this year, 
I had the opportunity to do that. I thought it'd be pretty fun to mix it up. I didn't necessarily think that I would only be doing crits, but because of the pandemic, a lot of the the road races that would have happened earlier this spring and summer, everything's pushed to the fall. So I won't, I won't be able to do those just because of cross conflicts, but yeah, I mean, it is what it is. And and, I mean, it turns out like, at least in my, in my mind, like they're pretty similar, you know, effort wise, takes a little bit of getting used to like how puckery it is out there but it's been a pretty smooth transition and i think you know down the road i think it's going to set me up pretty good for for the start across there's been especially here at intelligentsia and i have i'll be honest i have no idea when this episode is going to be pushed out to the public so it could be like right before dccx we're talking about something that happened in july but you know Life is a little chaotic here, as we can hear from the ambiance in the background of people moving boxes out of the basement. But, you know, like the punchy efforts that come with Criterium Racing are similar in nature to the punchy efforts that come from Cyclocross. I think it's kind of interesting that I find myself specializing, quote unquote, in crit racing, but I love cross. You obviously specialize in cross, but you love crit racing and, you know, you you've excelled at it. And I'm wondering when that switch got flipped for you, because going into armed forces, we did an informal poll of who was going to be the top cross finisher at armed forces. And everybody said Gage Hecht. It turns out that you beat Gage both days at armed forces and, you know, you've been riding this high of top 15s, top 20s, top 10s in some pretty steep fields. What was it for you that made it so that it wasn't like this really foreign experience jumping into crit racing? Well, like right off the the start, like the effort just suits me. Like physiologically, I excel at repeatability. I don't do very well at the longer efforts. I'm not a I'm not a great threshold rider. So it doesn't it doesn't take much for me to like to to go from you know base mileage or whatever into being able to like pound out a bunch of of high intensity efforts. So like that's never really a challenge for me. It takes, you know, like a weekend or two to get into that uh, mindset. Uh, so like for me, it's like, and I, and I'm still learning. Um, but it's, it's like recognizing the flow of a crit, you know, how to move through the field without expending a lot of energy. And for me, like when I get like offered the opportunity to learn those things, it's always, it's always really intriguing and engaging to me because there's like, it's just like another piece of the puzzle, right? Like you can be super fit and you can move up around the outside, but then, you know, you do that enough times and then you're not there at the end. So there's like a, a balance. Plus there's like a bit of a pecking order, which is, which is kind of frustrating. Sometimes everybody has this, uh, claimed ownership or entitlement to like a specific wheel, which I think is just bullshit, you know, like everybody fights for this or that. And then like, 
you know, you try to move up on them and it seems like they're going to take your life if you're not careful. <laughs> the most valuable piece of real estate in any crit is right behind the Legion train. That literally is the hardest spot to fight for. I mean, it is easier to get off the front than it is to get on Justin's wheel. Yeah, this yeah, this year for sure. I definitely noticed that. So, you know, you've been getting off the front. Like at Mundelein, you were off the front for a little while. You've not been afraid to to put your you know nose in the wind. How has it treated you to be kind of this outsider looking in at what is ostensibly a very similar version of bike racing? Well, it's cool because like I don't really care about the status quo. Like you know the the predetermined pecking order is. I don't really give a shit about that. I just like go out and like take a wheel if i need it if i don't like i don't know i definitely respect the guys that do this and have been doing it for a while but uh i guess i don't acknowledge as much entitlement as some other guys do so there's definitely still a lot to learn and like cracking the top 10 is hard enough like getting inside the top five is a whole other story requires uh like so much so much like focus and and like an ability to surf and like be in the right place at the right time and like avoiding the the washing machine and th- those things are like stuff that I struggle with still. What like so define the washing machine because I we've used that phrase before on the show but we've never defined it which is my fault. I should have when Adam Mills first said it like five weeks ago been like, hey Mills, why don't you explain this washing machine effect? But you know, give us your understanding of like that top 20, top 30 washing machine in any top level pro crit. Yeah. So we'll, we'll take exam. We'll take, for example, the Legion train is on the front. Speeds are pretty high. So like, which is intentional. They're trying to keep the speeds high. So people are like less encouraged to go off the front. And so when somebody does go off the front, there's like maybe one or two guys that go off the front, which is no big deal. They'll just pull them back. So everybody's fighting for the the back end of the train. Nobody wants to go past it. And so the washing machine is just like every lap when Legion reshuffles their order, like the dude on the front pulls off and they reshuffle to have somebody new set pace. Like the pace does inevitably slow a bit. And because of that, it was strung out to some degree. Now the dudes that are, 20 wheels back, 25 wheels back. They're like, oh, it's slowing. I'm going to use all this momentum I have to swing up in the wind and not burn much energy and then try to reshuffle into, you know, the into the draft somewhere further up the field. So it's like it's just like this constant reordering of of things. And given the difference between cross and criterium racing moving two spots up in cross can really be an effort but in crit racing it could just be you're the person who decides to stop pedaling half a second later right yeah or like or you just you know ride the momentum of a draft up with somebody else that decided to put their nose in the wind and so you could be cruising at like a hundred and 100 150 watts and you move up five spots and if you get lucky you can reshuffle back in and it's no big deal but 
sometimes if you go too far front, there's like a bit more of a of a of a grappling match for that position. You are racing with Project Echelon. I need to find out how that came about. How did you, you know, find Eric Hill and and Joe and company and and get onto the squad for the summer? So Joe and John Hamlin are both directors in the program and I used up until July of last year I lived in Winston-Salem which is where they both live and so I've been there for on and off the past four or five years Uh, my wife's parents live there and so just being a cyclist and doing the local crit series in like the Tuesday night races in Winston and just being in Winston and riding I've got didn't gotten to know them really well. Also, my wife's family is close with the Hamlin. So once they got the the director role, you know, they know how good of a cross rider I am. And, and they put me on Eric's radar. Eric then told me about the, you know, the team's mission with helping veterans. And that was really cool because it was more than just like a guest riding spot or, you know, like a spot on the team at that point. It was like, you know, like we could actually, I could actually be a part of this team that does something cool instead of just being a part of a team that does bike racing. And so, yeah, he offered me a spot and it was, I was like, yeah, let's, I wanted to mix it up. So it was just like the, our goals kind of aligned really well. I think that this week probably, was one of the biggest marketing opportunities for Project Echelon here in Naperville because as people have been coming in and out of this house for their estate sale shopping, the Project Echelon van's been parked outside, <laughs> the Subaru's been out there, and they're all like, well, who is Project Echelon? What are these guys all about? And I've gotten... They're a moving company. Yeah, it's our moving company. <laughs> I've gotten so adept at saying it's to equip, empower, and educate veterans to improve their quality of life and deal with you know, PTSD and a lot of the struggles they come back with. And so a lot of people in this neighborhood, as a result of you guys being here, are just like, oh, cool. This is kind of a neat organization because it, it like actually means something as compared to like random team that's a collection of guys who are just like i want to race bikes how can i get good deals right yeah yeah exactly so you know like having a esprit de corps like a mission is that something that's been on your radar i mean it's it's always really cool to be a part of that because you know we did we did like a project earlier in the year where we raised a bunch of money uh like this this spring when we were doing some virtual stuff and so that was obviously pretty motivating because it was more than just, you know, getting on RGT and doing a race with the team. There was like a purpose behind that. And it's also, you know, like I didn't know how how involved I would I would actually be with the whole mission, but at every race and starting with armed forces especially, you meet veterans that are like associated with the program and it's just really cool to have them like they're following you and they and then they tell you like you know like they've gained a certain amount of inspiration from following you and the team and and so that's been really rewarding as well it just it's cool like i mean i don't do this but some of the guys on the team are, are coaching veterans like pushing them towards goals that they have in 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 terms of cycling and so 
it's it's just nice to know that there's more there's more than just bike racing. Zach Gregg, actually, that's his full-time job now. As far as I know, he left his position at uh, Lees McRae, your alma mater. Yep. And he's now doing this full-time with Project Echelon. So there's like a single point of contact for the coaching services between the organization, the foundation, Project Echelon, and the veterans who are doing the doing the miles, doing the work, putting in the effort. Talking about Lee's McRae, you know, Matt Zimmer, one of the guys on the team is a Lee's McRae alum. Will Harden, I think, is a Lee's McRae alum. There's a lot of depth coming out of that school that I was like completely shocked about. You know, like what is so darn special about Banner Elk, North Carolina? Oh man, that's like the fact that you said it that way is why it's so special. Like, it's just like this paradise for for cycling. You're like tucked away in the hills of the Blue Ridge Mountains and Grandfather Mountain District of the Blue Ridge Parkway is like a 45-minute bike ride from the, the campus. You've got Beach Mountain to the north, Sugar Mountain to the south. Um, there's just amazing road riding. And then the uh, Pisgah National Forest the Wilson Creek district is, is just there next to grandfather mountain. So the mountain biking is unreal too. It's just a, it's just a really cool place to do bikes. And I think it's, it's really motivating. You get like a bunch of college kids together that are all stoked on bikes and it's like always easy to go out for a ride with someone, you know, you, you, you don't have to do training alone if you don't want to there. And the program itself just, uh, it just facilitates all of that. You know, it's, it's basically a pro program in terms of collegiate racing, the level of support. Um, the coaches are are there to help and 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 really kind of just like your your friends as well. Tim Hall, the head coach yep. for Lee's McRae, is a legend. He's he's more inspiring on Instagram than I think even Kate Courtney is. <laughs> and that's saying like a lot like there's some heavy like you wake up in the morning and you pull up instagram and you're like oh what's coach hall got to say oh yeah man i really want to get out of bed today now yeah <laughs> yeah for sure the um team nature of road racing and criterium racing in specific the other day you came home <laughs> which is funny to say you came back to the host house and you're just like yeah, Monk did great tonight. And I was like, I don't care about my own personal result, but Monk did great tonight. So Brandon Fury, uh, nickname is Monk. Getting into this type of bike racing where in the actual field that you are racing in, you have teammates who are you are who you are working for as opposed to just people who are wearing the same jersey as you. That's kind of always been the critique about teams and cyclocross is that it's really just the guys who you're trying to beat. You know, like back when Cyclo uh, Cannondale Cyclocross World had like five guys in the field, it was just like, okay, who's, they're going to work together, maybe? I mean, you have a teammate, Rebecca Farringer, but she's not in your races. Yeah, we don't work together quite that often. No, but, you know, having this sport where you have this team that you are working with as a unitary goal, how does that make you feel to, you know, walk out of a race and be like, yeah, I helped that guy get to that level? Yeah, it's cool. 
it's different. I've any crit I've done in the past has always just been by myself, like for me. So when you come out of a race and you're, you know, 20th place or whatever, or even further back, it's, it's like a little salty feeling because that's not that good of a result, but you know, you probably just sat in the whole thing and tried to be there at the end because that's what you do by yourself. But here it's like working for working for other people, like going up the road, trying to put pressure on so-and-so or even like trying to be there just to give somebody some confidence like that they are surrounded by teammates, you know, it's a cool feeling and also super motivating. Like if I was in, if I had signed up for the series by myself, I, I might be over it by now, but because Brandon is doing so well in the overall and continues to like place on the podium every day, there's an added level of motivation to come back every night with like, with, with, a goal and like uh, uh, an aggressive mindset towards the race. And so that's been really cool. The, the, the days that you don't do inside the top 10 or, or whatever, it's like chances are you probably did something throughout the, the, the span of the race to help the team move forward in some way. And so like, there's not pressure to do that. There's not pressure to finish inside the top 10 or the top five. I mean, it's great, but the overall pressure is to, is everybody aligns with the one goal of helping the guy that's doing well in the overall. So yeah, it's kind of nice because it takes pressure off me to, to perform really well. And then I end up performing better anyway. The nature of this series, nine days of bike racing or 10 days of bike racing in a row is not unique to crit racing, but in the United States, it's definitely an aberration where you have Intelligentsia or Toad, which are week-long events. You've got Gateway, which is four days, and you've got Speed Week, which has a couple of breaks in the middle, but is also a week long. That's something that you don't have a lot of experience with, with, with Cross, where it's weekend, weekend, days off, weekend, weekend, days off. How have you been recovering, maintaining focus, trying to make sure that you get the vlog published and edited? Yeah. So we race every day at 645. So basically I do the race and then I wake up and try to like pound out a bunch of work on the vlog, try to get it up sometime in the early afternoon. And then, uh, the big thing with me is being, being the fact that we're racing 90 minute races every night, you know, like you would think that I started on Sunday, so that would be seven days of racing for me. You'd think that, excuse me, you'd think that you come out of this just like really fit or like really fit and focused or like come out of this with something different. But like if you're not careful, you're only racing 90 minutes, so we're only burning probably 1,500 calories and it's just super intense. And so like if you're not careful at the end of this, at the end of this week and you're just like eating like trash because you know, we'd all need a bit of a reward after a, ra- a race. So we're going to have a beer. Or we're going to have like some ice cream or whatever. Like you can end up like losing a bunch of fitness, which you're probably going to do anyway after seven days of intensity. And then you're going to gain potentially some weight because you've been eating like shit all week. So like for me, I've just been trying to like be really conscious of that and, and not, you know, like living a bit of my, my best crit life. We, we had some frozen custard in West Dundee last night, but 
uh, at the same time, like trying to steer, stay away from bar food. I'm trying to like pack, pack post-race meals and, and trying to take care of myself so that also like on the other end of this, this week, I can, I can recover a bit faster and, and get back to get back to some real training because as we know, cross is coming. It is officially cross is coming season. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So why don't we segue a little bit into the Bill Shiken media pit world? And I promise it's going to come all the way back around to crit racing. You have spent time in Europe racing the big kid races in Belgium and the Netherlands. And, you know, you've been over there doing the cyclocross thing. What's the plan for this year? Are you going to stay mostly pro CX here in the U.S.? Are you going to go over to Europe for a dedicated period of time? What's the what's the Kona Maxis Shram plan? Maxis Shimano. Oh, Maxis Shimano. Yeah, yeah. Watch, I, watch it. I uh, <laughs> I clearly have my Shrambassador hat on right now. So <laughs> the Kona Maxis Shimano plan. Yeah, I'm actually really excited for the the pro CX this year because uh unique to other years they have done away with competing weekends so this year it starts the first race is roanoke right in my hometown the the venue is actually a mile from my house so oh you can ride to it oh i can coast i just coast down the hill it starts september 18 19 and goes until i guess pan ams or pan ams is the first weekend in december there's one weekend off for Thanksgiving, but other than that, there's a race every weekend from that eighteen nineteen until Pan Ams and the Nationals. But there's no overlapping weekends, and thus there is this like series uh, or calendar rather. It's not a series because there's no prize money for or prizes for the overall. There will be a point system, so there will be an overall winner, but. It's a step in the right direction towards a series, which I think is really important and what we need in cross. Uh, You know, it gives people something to follow and it tells a story. So I'm excited for that. My schedule is pretty easy. You were saying like you were talking about stage racing and, and, and or not stage racing, but how many crits there are here in a row. And it's kind of it's kind of nice because. After this, I'll take a little bit of a of a break and then get ready for cross. And then that first weekend kicks off six weekends in a row with um, three World Cups in there. And those three World Cups are almost akin to this this style of racing as we have um, the Trek Cup starts with a Friday race. We'll have off on Saturday and then the World Cup on Sunday, then Wednesday we have the Fayetteville World Cup, and then Friday we have the Jingle C1. There's the Jingle C2 on Saturday, which I'll probably skip, and then the Jingle World Cup on Sunday. So that's like a that's like a solid block of racing with a bunch more travel. So that'll have its own own kind of challenges. But yeah, I'm looking forward to kind of kind of getting after it, and and also I just think like the level of competition will be higher this year. What with no competing weekends, there won't be guys cherry picking points and, and you know, like Steven and Curtis are going here, then I'm going to go here kind of thing. So everybody will be chasing the same races. And one of the beauties is that the travel is rather compressed this year because most of the pro CX races are east of Tulsa. Yeah. Which is, I know some guys on the West Coast are particularly upset by that, but you, being an East Coast guy, 
it plays to your benefit. Yeah, the the schedule has a really nice flow this year. I mean, it, it does require being on the road quite a bit, but I mean, from Roanoke to Rochester to Charm, and then you have a big transfer out to the Midwest, but then out in the Midwest, it's like Jingle and Trek are pretty close. You do have to drive to Fayetteville. There's like a, there's a few day drives in there, but I mean, like for the most part, it's got a good flow, and then it comes back east with Cincy, so... I, yeah, I mean, being on the East Coast, I'm all about it. And moving to Roanoke, we've essentially cut our drive time from Winston by two hours to any of those races. So so my thought process is you're doing Charm City Cross, it's just a, which is a part of the Pro CX calendar. If I jump into the 1-2 field, how many laps is it going to take before you lap me? I'm thinking three. I'll be on lap three, you'll be on lap four. Is that a fair one? Uh. Yeah, I think you could get four laps in. Okay. Because they have that flyover, and I'm sprightly going up steps now that I've been carrying boxes up and down steps for the last week. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. So um, let's bring it back to kind of this, this question that the guys on the media pit talk about a lot, which is creating something uniquely American in a sport that is international. So with cyclocross... Everybody knows the big money is in Europe. If you want the TV time, if you want the exposure, if you want to go up against the best men and women in the world, you have to go to Belgium. You have to go to the Netherlands. You have to do that series or serieses of races. But it's hard on an American. It's hard on somebody from North America because I know there are Canadian cyclocross racers, believe it or not. But, you know, like... It's hard to do that because it's expensive and it requires a lot of time away from family. And like that's always been the big complaint or the big challenge for men and women in the United States trying to make the jump to the world tour or to the pro conti level in Europe is like being six or seven hours ahead of the rest of your family for a prolonged period of time is tough. And the salaries that people have a tendency of making in bike racing are typically not enough to support a family of four. So, you know, one of the things we've talked about a lot is how do we create an experience here in the United States that is legit enough that people can make a living out of it racing in the United States? And if they want to make the jump to Europe, go right ahead, knock yourself out. If you've got the resources, do it. That is where there is no Tour de America. You know, there's the Tour de France and there's the Vuelta and there's, you know, all of these great events that are the biggest things in the world. So if you can compete on that level, do it. Knock yourself out. With the Pro CX, with the criterium racing that we have in the United States, how do we make that into an experience where you, Carrie Warner, Curtis White, you know, Rebecca Ferringer, people of that level can make a good enough living that that can be a career. Yeah. I mean, like, I think the, you know, the USA Crit Series, the, the Pro CX, the, the standalone Crit Weeks like Intelligentsia and, and Tour of America's Dairyland. I mean, I think the racing platform is there to do it. I think the the thing that we struggle with in America is just like the ex, the exposure. 
a lot of American cycling is is sponsored by the cycling industry, which is good, but it's also not good because then the only people that are interested in it, like it just like it just keeps cycling in the cycling bubble. The the big thing that they have over in Europe is a bunch of outside sponsorship, like f- from company like. We were talking about this in the car last night, like Tim and I, you know, this is a world tour level, so it's different. Every race is is advertised and there's a bunch of hype around it. But like Ineos, that is not a, obviously a cycling industry. Hans or Bora Hans Grow is not cycling industry. Quick Step is not cycling industry. Like all of that stuff is outside money. And because of that, like people outside of the bike industry are exposed to cycling and so you know i think the racing platform is is there to you know like give the riders like give the riders what they need to to race and be successful it's just it's really just an exposure thing i think it's coming like what i've seen and my idea is that like e-bikes have actually been really good for the u.s cycling market i think it's it's like a good first step for people um getting into the sport like as as everybody knows like americans are pretty fat and out of shape relative relatively and they're just so busy that there's not a ton of time for exercise and so like the e-bike has kind of been the a great stepping stone for people to like jump into the sport and actually like feel exhilarated and feel fast and feel like they're, they're actually moving. It's given people the opportunity to be able to commute to work where, you know, a 20 mile commute is now achievable. And so I think it's just going to take time and it's going to take like a lot of, uh, I guess like, uh, exposure from our end, promoting people to just get out on bikes and once cycling becomes a bigger sport then you know more people are going to be interested in investing in it and being involved in it unfortunately i think that's going to take a lot of time yeah so you've got ineos what's it going to take to get exxon involved you've got bora hansgrove what's it going to take to get ge or kenmore involved you know you got dakota quickstep what's it going to take to get empire carpets which I think is hilarious because when I grew up, Empire Carpets was the local company, and now they're this national one. Like, I can still remember 312-588-2300, call Empire, and now it's like 1-800. I mean, like, I started when it wasn't even 312. It was just 588 because everybody knew. Oh, right, right. You don't have to call outside the area code. That's crazy. Why are you using, you know, long distance? But what's that threshold you know, where we have given enough exposure that we can turn to these non-endemic. Because I I think you're 100% right. All of us fighting for limited resources within the same group is, is hard, you know, because we all want the specialized sponsorship or we all want the Envy sponsorship. And that's great, but these companies don't have unlimited resources they cannot sponsor every team that's ever existed and even if they wanted to they get a bigger bang for the buck by sponsoring a world tour team than it would be for a domestic elite team or a pro conti team so like 
where's that threshold with exposure that you get these companies to say, yes, this is worth my advertising dollars, or yes, this is worth the marketing budget to say, let's do this. That's hard because I don't know the analytics. I know that like live streams are obviously a necessity in the sport, like throughout. I mean, so many people are stoked on the Red Bull live stream for mountain bike world cup stuff and downhill stuff. And, you know, I think like with criterium racing and cyclocross racing, those two, um, those two courses are like confined in a way that it makes live streaming really easy. So like in terms of getting to that threshold, I think those two sports are, I mean, obvious first choices in my book on, on like, you know, it's just like the most cost effective way, obviously like doing a bunch of road races is not because it takes so much more infrastructure to do that. But I mean, like in a crit, you could set up six, seven cameras and just, you know, it's all contained course. You get a bunch of riders out there and you're just cutting back and forth and you got great announcing. Brad Soner has been doing a great job this week of keeping people engaged. And so I think that's how you do it. The threshold I don't know. Like I said, I think you need more people like more people interested in bikes to want to tune in to that live stream. Right now, the live streams that we have are like, you know, my mom and my wife watch it because I'm racing. If I wasn't, they might not watch it. And so it's like, how do you get, first of all, cyclists, like all cyclists to watch it. But then like, you know, how do you get like maybe NASCAR fans to watch it because, I mean, it's not that much different. I always like the Formula One fans. Right. It's a road race course. I mean, like, if you want to do the NASCAR analogy, oh, I'm going to get yelled at for this one, but it's mostly oval tracks, you know, but, like, Formula One, everybody's like, this is the greatest thing. This is so European. This is so amazing. But, like, people wake up at odd times to watch Monaco. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, like... Red Bull, I think, is an incredible example. And now with their coverage of mountain biking and downhill, they've revolutionized the way that it works. I mean, like, not only did they take these cross-country races that were three, four hours long and make them 90 minutes or make a short track version that's only 20 minutes, they've stepped up that game of coverage, bringing in professionals, not just first-generation iPhone users to, you know, do the actual coverage. It requires money, but like, do you know somebody at Red Bull? I'm, I'm, I'll take the meeting. I swear, I'll take the meeting. That's a, that's on me. No, I'd probably have a, I'd probably have a wrapped helmet if I knew somebody at Red Bull. Oh, that, that is true. That is true. So, where do we go from here? You know, where do we go from here as far as making these sports more accessible? You're 30 years old now. You know, you've got. 15 more years of racing left in you. I think that you could be a really... Oh, that, was very, that was very generous. Thank you. <laughs> you'd be a really good 40, 40 plus candidate. I'd love to be the next Jeff Kabush, honestly. I think he's doing it the right way. How so? Like, that wasn't going to be the question, but now if you bring Jeff Kabush into this conversation, we got to talk about it. Well, you know, he started out, like, I mean, obviously doing high-level races. He's, he's d- like, podiumed at World Cups, 
He might have even won a World Cup, I think, in Bromont. So, like, he, he's done the fast XC side of things. And over the last, I don't know, five to seven years, he's kind of transitioned. He still does, like, some of those races, but he's transitioned into, like, this schedule of what he wants to do. And he makes that align with his sponsor's marketing goals by providing them with content and also just like, you know, touching base, you know, like where, where are the sponsors marketing goals? Gravel is really big right now. So he's been doing a bunch more of that, but you know, he's just doing what's, what's fun and and what makes sense. And so like, yeah, I think like if I could do that to continue racing, I would absolutely do that. So what are the things that are on your Jeff Kabush list? If, if it was, I've got money, my sponsors are 1,000% behind all of my decisions. I don't have to show up at any specific race. I can just race the races that I want to do. If that's your situation now with Kona, like, awesome. I am so proud of you. But I'm sure there might be a little bit of a drive to be at certain races still. But if you had that capacity, what are the types of things that you want to do? Yeah, so... I think it would be a pretty good mix of like adventure riding and racing as well. Like I am a racer at heart and it, and it like, it just, I like to race. It's fun. I like to compete, but at the same time, I also really value experiences and doing new things because I think, you know, like taking hold of those opportunities, like you just, you then just grab and hold on to new motivation and inspiration, which is, Part of the reason I keep doing the vlog that I do is just to expose people to different things. Like I don't necessarily, I mean, like I like to do the things that I like to do because I think they're fun. And and I feel like the reason I share them is because I hope that other people think they're fun and like could draw inspiration and ideas to do their own cool, fun things. So like, that's my little bit of, uh, your contribution. Thank you. That's the word I was thinking of. That's my contribution to this, like to, to this, like trying to get more people involved in the sport. I think like, you know, traditionally people know about cycling just from racing, but you don't have to be, you don't have to race to have fun one and also like watch a race and think it's fun. So like, that's kind of where the vlog is and why I still do it. But in terms of racing, so like, I don't know, there's a bunch of really cool races in the fall that I haven't gotten to do in the past just because I've been chasing cross races for the last X number of years. So I can see down the road, like, you know, maybe taking a bit less focus off of cross and still racing cross because I love it. It's fun. It's fast paced. It suits me really well. Uh, but maybe like, you know, instead of hitting six weekends in a row of cross next year, maybe I do two or three and then jump into like Grinduro, which is a race I've always wanted to do, but always happens over the jingle cross weekend. You know, I've done jingle cross for probably more than five years at this point. The course has more or less been the same. And every, every year I, I sit there and and see posts from people out at Grinduro like having a blast and it just looks like a lot of fun. So 
just trying to mix it up and and mixing it up will i think inevitably like keep me motivated to to do new things and do different races so if people want to follow your experiences they want to see how much fun you're having what are some good ways youtube channel for sure and instagram those are the best ways i usually do write-ups on the kona cog which is like kona's blog page um for just written words on different adventures and yeah so those are like the three the three media outlets that i use we were gonna we'll point people in that general direction carrie werner thank you so much for being on the show thanks man Thanks for joining us on another episode of the show. We are a proud part of the Wide Angle Podium network of shows. Go to wideanglepodium.com to find out more about the full lineup of shows available there. Today's episode was written, produced, and edited by me, Rob Kelly. Next week, we've got a virtual smorgasbord of cycling content and coverage from Bucks County to Indy to El Paso. We've got reporters, correspondents, and friends coming in from all over the place to tell us about how they did, about how their races worked, and about what it all means for them. So please come back and join us again here next week for more stories from our Criterium Nation.